BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. So I do a lot of Instagram Q&As, whether it's just for Instagram or if it's for topics or questions to answer here on the podcast. And I see a lot of the same themes come up. So usually they revolve around being child-free by choice. This is something that I've talked about before, and I think a lot of women are considering right now. So that, conversely, dealing with the grief or the difficulty of going through infertility, trying to get pregnant and not being able to or having a lot of challenges in that area, a lot about the comparison trap, a lot about how to have self-esteem, and then, of course, a lot about like diet culture, body image, beauty standards, binge eating. So I wanted to talk to mental health professionals and have them weigh in on these topics. And I thought that the Shrink Chicks would be the perfect duo for this because they kind of cut through a lot of psychobabble and they're also really fun. So I'm talking to Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chaikin. They're both licensed marriage and family therapists. Emily is a marriage and family therapist who specializes in empowering and healing women. She started going to therapy when she was 12 years old, when her eating disorder and self-harm began. And through the next 10 years, she had experiences with amazing therapists and not so amazing therapists, which is a huge part of why she became a therapist in the first place. And she's also an owner and co-founder of the therapy group, And she's very outspoken. She loves to talk everything from sex to parenthood. And then Jennifer is also a marriage and family therapist. She loves helping her clients understand, connect with, and accept their inner experience. We talk a lot about inner child today as well. She became a therapist after years of being told that her own inner experience and sensitivity was something to be ashamed of. And becoming a therapist helped her to embrace her empathetic nature and channel it towards her passion for helping others. She is also one of the owners and co-founders of the therapy group, and she's really open about her own journey through life, including her choice to be child-free in her marriage. And like I said, we cover that today. So they host a podcast as well called Shrink Chicks. It's really good. So you guys can check that out. And I already listed all the topics that we get into today. So I will jump into it, and I hope you guys enjoy the Shrink Chicks. I thought it would be good to do a listener Q&A just because there's so many topics that we could talk about and like hone in on, but I wanted to get a feel from my audience, like what they're dealing with. And of course, there are a lot of similar themes coming up. So I thought we would kind of break it down and talk about these different themes that are really common among my demographic, and those were eating issues, body image. I also had one around children, fertility, being child-free by choice, which I know 
you are as well. Mm-hmm. Me too. Comparison. And then I wanted to talk about like inner child work as well. So that was kind of how I wanted to break it down. And then of course, just see where it goes. But to start, can you both just introduce yourselves briefly? Yeah, my name is Emily Beerley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a sex therapist. I'm a co-host of the Shrink Picks podcast. And we co-own the therapy group, which has locations in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia and Westchester. And then we have amazing virtual clinicians all over the United States. And we're really happy to be here today. So happy to have you. I'm Jennifer Bacon. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And everything that Emily said, we do everything (laughs) together. And so our introductions are usually the exact same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to talk to you guys and just delve into these topics. And Jennifer, when I heard you say that you were child-free by choice, you've talked about this on your podcast. That was something that I really wanted to talk about because I am as well. And I don't know if you get this, but people seem to look at me different as though there's something wrong with me for not wanting kids as though I'm missing out on this essential human experience. But I think that it's something that a lot of people are starting to consider for different reasons. So why don't we start by talking about that? If you can share your stance a little bit. Absolutely. I completely agree with you that I think it's a hard concept for others to wrap their mind around. I think when you're doing anything that feels almost counterculture, that there's this idea that, okay, when you grow up, you get married and you have kids, and this is the exact path that you have to be on. And when you make a choice to do something different, I think that it really can be very uncomfortable for other people. So that's when you get some of the comments like, oh, you'll change your mind or, oh, but you're missing out. It's a love that you'll never experience. And Who's going to take care of you when you're older? You know, we get all of those comments. So I think that there's a lot of discomfort when you do something or make a choice to do something that maybe others haven't allowed themselves to think about, that it it just felt like they were on this very specific path. And so I think that's where a lot of the questions come in. A lot of the discomfort comes in. My choice came pretty gradually, I would say. I never had the sense of, I can't wait to be a mother. I never. And so I was almost waiting until I got married to see if that would change until my friends started having kids to see if that would change. And when I've gotten to this specific stage in life and realized that that didn't change, and I feel even stronger about my decision to be child-free now where I can really hold strong in that stance, but it took It was a really gradual process for me. I don't know if it was similar for you and your process with it. Yeah, for me, it wasn't something that I ever even thought about until I was about 30. So growing up, I just assumed that my life was going to be one way. I was going to go to college, graduate, get married, have kids, and that was that. And then my 20s were just a complete shit show. I got sober at 28. So everything before that was kind of doesn't really count. I did not have kids or marriage or my future on my mind at the time. And when I turned 30, I was a couple years sober. And I remember having this existential crisis where I thought 30 was ancient, which I don't think anymore. But I felt like okay, well, I'm not in a relationship. I'm turning 30. Everyone else is starting to have kids. Should I freeze my eggs? And I was talking to somebody and she said, well, do you even want them? It had never even been something that I considered like that. And it really gave me pause. And I realized, wait a second, exactly like you, it's just not something that I want. And like you, I kind of went back and forth a little bit on whether I should freeze my eggs just to have the insurance policy because people were telling me that I was going to change my mind. And the older I've gotten, the more confident in that choice I feel. Yeah. But yeah, it is kind of, it is kind of counterculture, I guess. Maybe that I think you're onto something there. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and and I think that it is, you know, my, my dad said the same thing to me. He was like, oh, what if you, you should freeze your eggs just in case, you know, like just in case you change your mind. I was like, dad, like it's not happening. So I think that the pressure from family members, from friends is really real. And we talk about this on our own, that 
you know, it's, you almost have to become comfortable kind of vetting those questions from other people because you will get them. I sat next to a very religious woman on the plane once and I was, I ended up having a conversation with her and she, she ended up asking me about my choice. She was like, oh, do you have any children? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to have any children. And her mouth just completely dropped. It was completely completely alien to her <laughs> to even think about that. So I just think, I mean, that's, that is a more extreme example, but I think, I think that it just happens so often. And I think you get comfortable over time, kind of vetting those questions or those ideas. And the more comfortable you become in your decision, the easier it is to be able to have those conversations with other people. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is that all the reasons people always say to you, and I've watched people have these interactions with Jen, is that they're always really shitty reasons to have a child, (laughs) right? Like, oh, well, who's going to take care of you? Like, what's actually really not important to have a child is for someone to watch you, save your money and go to a nice home, right? Like, or like, you know, well, what if you miss out on some experience? You know, like, they're just simply never actually good reasons of point of becoming a parent. And people should like really think about like, why are you choosing to be a parent if you do this? Because there's a lot of reasons that we should do things in this life. A lot of them are very legitimate. But for so many of us, it's just that, well, because I was told I should. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. really not a great reason. Let's question all of the things that we were told that we should be doing. Yeah. I remember when I had my realization, I was actually talking to my cousin and I said, I guess I'm just selfish because I really enjoy my autonomy and I don't foresee any circumstances where I would want to give that up. And it's so much deeper than that. It's not just the autonomy. But she said, no, I think the selfish thing would be knowing that about yourself and doing it anyway. And that was kind of my aha moment. Like mic drop. <laughs> oh, we love your cousin. Yeah. I yeah, love your cousin. That's your cousin. We <laughs> all who's your cousin? Let's hang. We're all people saying that to us in our life of like, no, actually, like if you know certain things about yourself, like let's make a decision. Lots of people would say, hey, probably my parents shouldn't become parents. Yes. If enough people in our generation knows that, we should probably take a look at why we choose to become a parent. This is something that we talk about with everything we talk about in terms of what's the point of having sex, sexual scripting, parental scripting. What's the point? Why do we do things that we do? And is there with good reason? Mm. Think about the choices you make. Mm-hmm. Why do we Same have sex? With drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have sex? It's a group question, right? What is the point of sex? Right? Lessons. <laughs> Besides enjoyment, I mean, but yes. you know, that can, that wanes, ebbs and flows. <laughs> that it does. That it does. <laughs> and there's enough people having really bad sex <laughs> that they actually are just doing it because they think that they should, because I owe it to my partner, right? Mm. So the same thing. If you're gonna someone who drinks or you, you know, uses alcohol, uses substance, what's the point? Why are we doing these things that we're doing? Let's start being more intentional and conscious about everything. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think with that ability to ask ourselves those questions, we get to a point where we can say, am I doing this because society has told me that I should do it? Or am I doing this because I actually want to do this? Am I doing this because of something that it's coming from me? And as therapists, we really help clients and we help our listeners really think about being able to live a very intentional life based on their own choices, not necessarily someone else has told you you should live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's so much power in peeling back those layers and the, I don't know, just, just those, I think we accumulate those throughout our lives. These things that we do because we think we should, because other people are doing them. I know for me, like getting sober really unraveled all of that for me. And that's why I always say it's kind of my superpower. And I know not everybody needs to get sober or anything like that, but it really enabled me to be my authentic self. And that I think is the most empowering thing. And to your point, therapy, which I've been in therapy the entire time I've been sober and prior really helped me to learn who I really am and unpack all of that. So yeah, I just, I love that. One more piece on the child thing. So kind of on the other end of the spectrum, I did get a few questions from women who have tried to get pregnant, done IVF and all of the things and have not had any success and are grieving that. Have you run into that with your clients and do you have any advice? Are you sure you didn't do recon about both Jen and I's stories? So I'm someone, <laughs> a little I bit. Someone who, um, 
who took many, many years to get pregnant. I have a beautiful four-year-old daughter. And I, um, since my four-year-old daughter, I've had three miscarriages. So I have gone through a ton of loss. I have done fertility treatment. Here's what I would say to so many people. Grieve, grieve, grieve. Cry through pity parties. Feel every single thing that you're feeling and take time. The pressure you start to feel when you have this is that I have to figure it out right away. And that was my experience before that I was like, okay, so I have to do every treatment. I have to do every single thing to have this baby else. It's never going to happen. Life is longer than we think it is. Give yourself time to reflect on what's working for you. If the treatment, right, when you're injecting hormones in yourself, when you are, you know what I mean, scheduling sex, first of all, it kills your sex life with your partner. Absolutely kills your sex life. That shit's horrible. You're like, oh, I'm ovulating. Let's have the world's worst sex. It's not, it's not a great situation. It does not help your relationship. It makes you mad at people around you. It makes you very resentful. You do, you become, and you really can get into very much a victim mindset with it because it's true. You are having something taken away from you that you want and desire. And it truly isn't fair. There's no rhyme or reason of why something happens for someone else and not for us. And we do get to be incredibly sad about that. But what do we want to do with it? So this is checking with myself. Are me and my partner on the same stage? Or am I doing this solo? And do I feel like I'm on the same page about that? Do I feel like I have doctors that I'm working with that I am comfortable with, that I trust, that I feel care for me in this process? Do I need to take breaks with any type of treatment? I would say this, right? If you are working on your mental health, take breaks. We are, we are big fans of learning to rest, not to quit. Mm. So give yourself time to rest when you are going through something as difficult as fertility issues. And that means I can't attend my friend's baby showers. I don't go to my friend's baby showers, right? Like that might be upsetting. They might be hurt by that, but your job is to take care of you first. And if you can fit other stuff in, that's really great too. Mm -hmm. But you to make space for yourself to be in tune with yourself and to realize some of the stuff I'm feeling does have to, especially if I'm taking hormones, all the stuff that affects me. We're so hyper aware of what's going on in other people's lives. And so I would imagine that not being able to get pregnant, losing a child, anything like that, you feel like you're probably just seeing everybody else's success everywhere that you look. Well, there's like, and it goes into the conversation about choosing to be child-free because we have been told for a long time that our worth as women matters if you become a mother more. You get mm. more valued in this world if you're a mother. Ironically, only if you're pregnant, as soon as you become a mother, the world kind of stops caring about you. But, you know, but they, these two conversations actually go together about like, what, how does this like connect with my femininity? How does this connect with me being a woman? Do I have to be a mom to this? Does it mean that I'm broken if I can't or I choose not to? And so we really have to start like taking a look at what those narratives are that we tell ourselves about who we are as women in this world, whether it's I'm struggling and I'd like to be a mother or I'm choosing to not be a mother totally intentionally by choice. All of this goes into how I feel about myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like even if somebody does have a baby, there are so many other elements of that. Like if they can't breastfeed, you know, I have friends who have not been able to do that. and and they feel less than or like something is wrong. So I think that that narrative continues, but in different ways, you know, it manifests in different ways. You're a hundred percent right. I mean, that's what it is, right? All the stuff that we have been told makes us a woman or makes us successful or makes us, you know, any fill in the blank A, B or C. We have to detach from this idea. What the hell makes you a woman? What the hell makes you right for you? Right. We have to start creating those rules for ourselves as opposed to all of the scripts that have been given to us. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time what online workout platform or app I like. There are so many to choose from, but I think there's one that really takes the cake. It's just so comprehensive. And obviously, this is something that Harley turned me on to. And that is Allo Moves. So Allo Moves is a streaming on-demand wellness platform that features yoga practices, fitness routines, meditation sessions, and so much more from one of my favorite brands, Allo Yoga. All of their quality studio style classes inspire me to not only work out, but take care of my whole being. So it's really like mind, body, spirit. And I feel like that enables me to then go out into the world and do what I do best. And they really have something for everybody. So whether you are a beginner or 
you're advanced or if you want yoga or bar, Pilates, cardio, hit classes, there's something for you. They also have relaxing guided meditations. They have sound baths, which I love. They have breath work, which I've been getting really into lately and I feel is making a huge difference with my overall anxiety and stress and just keeping my nervous system more calm. So there's really more than just fitness to aloe moves. So you have to check out their gua sha. They have dry brushing, face yoga, nutrition classes, and so much more. And the best part is you need little to no equipment for all of this. They have tons of fresh content. They have over a hundred new classes added every month. Plus they have over 3000 classes for every level beginning to advanced. The best part is you can totally fit it into your schedule. All the classes are on demand. So when I'm short on time, they have meditation and fitness classes for when I need to squeeze in a workout. And you guys know my breakdown right now is about two to three days of Pilates a day with Harley. And then I'll do something on Allo Moves. And I like that I can choose something from yoga if I want really low impact to high intensity if I have tons of energy or anything in between and it's Harley approved. So it's not just me that's loving Allo Moves. It was voted best wellness app of 2022 by InStyle Magazine and best yoga app of 2023 by Women's Health. So for a limited time, Allo Moves is offering my listeners a free 30-day trial plus, get this, 50% off an annual membership. But you can only get it right now by going to allomoves.com and use the code BLONDE in all caps. So that's A-L-O-Moves.com and all caps code BLONDE, B-L-O-N-D-E, to get a free 30-day trial plus 50% off an annual membership. This is a great offer. So definitely stop what you're doing and go to allomoves.com and use the code BLONDE in all caps. So last night I made chicken thighs in my Instant Pot. I did kabocha squash roasted in the oven and I did like sauteed crispy kale and it was out of this world good. And let me tell you why. So instead of using olive oil, which doesn't have the highest smoke point or coconut oil that can taste kind of sweet, I used macadamia oil, my latest obsession Oh my God, you guys, if you are not using macadamia oil for your cooking, for your dressing, you are seriously missing out. So a recent study showed macadamia oil actually has more beneficial effects to overall human health than olive oil or coconut oil. Its omega-7s have been linked to natural collagen production. Hello, I'm going to drink this stuff. Increased skin elasticity, anti-inflammatory properties, and fat loss. And like I said, it has a high smoke temperature. So it reduces the risk of free radicals, which cause aging that most other oils create when heated during cooking. And of course, I used my House of Macadamia's macadamia oil. They have a special cold pressed single batch macadamia oil, perfect for cooking or drizzling over salad. It has this buttery taste that is so delicious. Like I can't even tell you it's so good. And now more than ever, I really feel like beauty does begin within. Choosing the right snacks and preparing our food with nutritious ingredients is crucial to maintaining a healthy body and glowing skin. Of course, I love all the topical things and the treatments and procedures, but those are really a cherry on top because you can do all of that and still not be nourishing yourself. And that's going to show externally. And conversely, if you are nourishing yourself, that is going to just give you that healthy glow that you really can't emulate with any kind of treatment. So you guys know that I also have macadamia nuts to start my day with my matcha. I love them because they're the lowest carb nut. They have more healthy fat than even avocado, and they are rich in those rare omega-7s that I talked about before. So the benefits are totally unique and House of Macadamias has the highest quality premium macadamias in a range of bars, purified oils, and nuts. They are so fresh. They don't have that funky, plasticky aftertaste that a lot of macadamias have. And they are the absolute 
best quality. So if you're going to eat your macadamias, get your macadamia oils. Definitely get it from House of Macadamias. Their products don't ever go on sale, but they are very generously giving you guys a code to get 20% off all purchases. So this is exclusive just for you. So for a really limited time, all first orders will receive a cold-pressed extra virgin macadamia oil that's truly one of a kind, totally complimentary when you use the code BLONDE at checkout. So visit houseofmacadamias.com slash blonde to begin indulging in health. Again, that's houseofmacadamias.com slash blonde. I'm not going to lie. I have been feeling pretty chronically stressed lately. I feel like the content machine is never ending. I am constantly on my phone from usually seven o'clock in the morning on, even when I do stay off for the first like hour or two of being awake. And that is the nature of my work. But I'm really leaning heavily into the habits that support my well-being and make me feel good. One of those habits is literally the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning, which is drinking my athletic greens, my AG1. So I have been drinking this for well over a year now. I have actually lost count. And I love it because it is a micro habit that has so many benefits. It eliminates the need to take a million different supplements. If you listened to my last solo episode, then you heard that there are a few things that I take in addition to this. And I do that as needed. So right now I'm experiencing some things that I need extra supplements for. And so I take them. But AG1 really covers so many of the bases. That's because it is made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver benefits like mood, immune system, and sleep support, sustained energy, and so much more. So by now, I'm sure most of you can recite my routine with me, but I wake up, I go down, I do a scoop of AG1 and then about eight ounces of water. You can also put it in your smoothie or whatever works for you, but I really love the flavor and I shake it up and I drink it before and sometimes during and after my meditation before I have my matcha and I just love it. I feel like I'm giving my body so many good nutrients and vitamins and minerals and all of the things right off the bat. And I've talked about this before, but it's such a great hack too for when I'm traveling. I bring the travel packs and it's just a great way to nourish myself, especially when I don't really know like what I'm going to be eating, when I'm going to be eating, if I'm going to be eating anything really nutritious or not. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash blondefiles. That's athleticgreens.com slash blondefiles. Check it out. Yeah, another big question or a big topic that repeated itself in the Q&A was comparison. And kind of to that point and to what I was saying before, we're so aware of what is going on in every other person's life. We know what they're eating. We know their second cousin's kids' names. We know about their promotions. How can we detach from not only what we think we should be doing, what other people are doing, but how can we just stay in ourselves and in our own lives? We, we talk a lot about this in terms of social media and conscious consumption that Typically, when we're struggling with something within ourselves, right, when we feel less than in some way, we feel like we're lacking in some way, we might hop on social media and the things that we cling on to are the things that we don't feel like we have. The things that we remember are the things that we don't feel like we have in our lives. And there's some sort of mechanism that happens that we feel like, okay, if I get on social media and I see these things, I see these beautiful homes when I'm trying to remodel my home, that maybe it will give me some sort of fulfillment or something. Or if I hop on social media and I see that all my friends are having kids, that maybe it'll give me like some sort of like connection to this. But really what it does is it creates this sense of comparison that makes us feel like shit about ourselves. And so <laughs> to say the least. And so the, the thing that we love to talk about is be really aware in your, whether it's on social media, whether you're with your friends, whether you're out in the world, be really aware of how that consumption of these things is affecting you. 
because we tend to hop on social media and we're doing it that we're mindlessly scrolling, right? We're just on there trying to fill some time, fill some boredom. And we, we don't really give, we don't really take into consideration how that scrolling is affecting us. So being very intentional and conscious about what you are taking in is really important and recognize how is this affecting me? Is this serving me in some way? When I get on social media, is this giving to me or is it taking from me? And if you can take that inventory of the things in your life that are taking from you, then you get to make a decision. Do I want to take time off social media? Do I want to create a new social media where I'm following different people? Do I want to, do I want to stop following certain people? Do I want to not go to certain events that are affecting me? So being really conscious about what you're consuming is really, really important and making sure you're taking that inventory and then making adjustments accordingly. Mm-hmm. And you can say to yourself, I'm going to take 24 hours off and see how I feel. I'm going to take 48 hours off and see how I feel. I'm going to try to do this fake account and follow stuff and see how I feel, right? Some of this is going to be trial and error, but we do not need to know the amount of shit that we know now. I don't need to know my second cousin's kid's name. I really, truly don't. (laughs) Lovely, great for them, cute pigtails. This doesn't matter to my life at all. And so if you're to actually take inventory about what matters to my life and what am I doing? If I made a list of all of my values and then I made a list of how much time I spent on each one, I have a feeling that social media does not come up at all in your values, but I have a feeling that relationships do. So do my relationships get better with that consumption, right? So like truly do this activity. What's my values? What's the time I spend on each thing? Mm. Because if I'm spending more time on social media than in relationships in my life, or I'm spending time on social media and then I fight with my partner when I get off because I call, I saw so-and-so's partner bought them a new Jeep for Valentine's. This didn't fucking happen. But like, how nice would that be? Oh, like, doesn't everyone secretly watch Actually, Okay. Okay. But also, did you ever see that skit where if your husband came home with a new car without asking you, how pissed would you be? I'd be really pissed. I would be pissed that they spent that much money, pissed that I didn't get a say on the interior in the next right. year. Right. <laughs> yes. right. <laughs> and whatever that looks like. So like if, but like, think about that. If I go and I look at all this stuff and we always tell ourselves we're doing it for inspiration. This goes mm-hmm. back to so many of us that grew up in the nineties that followed the inspiration. Mm. So how many people put pictures cut out from magazines of very, very skinny women on our fridge. And our moms did this shit too, right? This is a long thing. So we keep thinking that if we shame ourselves, it'll make us change. That is not how emotions work. When know it makes change, motivation and routines mm-hmm. and mastery, self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from mastery, learning something, feeling proud about yourself. It has never once come from shame. It just doesn't. It might for a week, it might motivate me for a week to do something, but then that's going to fall apart. It's yes. Tr- it's, it's really true that people believe that, okay, if I beat myself up, then maybe it'll get me to do something different. That's mm-hmm. like a huge, I think that's a huge misconception. And really what happens, it just makes us feel so bad about ourselves. And the, and which seeps into us and keeps us from actually feeling motivated to do those things. When you are starting to really do work on yourself, we can talk about this in terms of inner child work, healing work. This is why we ask people to go three generations back. Because how my parents parented me and how their parents parented them and how they, my grandparents were parented, this all affects us and matters. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me how much influence our parents actually have on our lives and, and our lives as adults. And I mean, I would imagine that it would kind of determine like everything, but I could be wrong. So. <laughs> So have so there's a few other things, right? So there's there's a biological component, which is actually there's a lot of science that goes into this, but basically the egg that you came from was in your grandmother's body. So everything your grandmother went through, you actually went through as well. So there's a ton of influence, but here's the coolest thing: you get to change it at any time. If we do not do the work to make it different, then yes, our parents have a massive amount of influence. If we decide to look at it, change it, and do the work around this, it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. We get to control that, actually. And, yeah. And what happens is that I think that when when we, we're growing up and maybe we're, we're, we have a, a more difficult childhood or we have a difficult relationship with our parents, 
you know, a coping mechanism can be, I'm going to push this down and not deal with this because I don't want them, them to have influence over my adult life, right? If I look at this, then it means I'm admitting that they have some sort of influence. And what happens is when we don't look at it, they actually have more influence over our decisions than the things that we're doing and our reactivity than if we were to acknowledge it and look at it and be able to work through it. That is when you actually gain more control over whatever is happening internally for you, the triggers that come up for you, when you're actually able to look at it and say, how did this affect me? And how is this affecting me now in my relationships? And so we feel like we have this false sense of control. If we like, I'm just going to push this down and pretend this didn't happen. But what happens when we do that is that it actually has more influence over our lives than if we were to actually look at it. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. It's like what you resist persists, like as cliche as it is. Something that I heard in therapy, though, but but it kind of applies to, I feel like, any uncomfortable emotion, really. I think it's something that so many people deal with. And the instinct is to avoid it and resist it. And when you do that, it just snowballs, it seems like. And we always, we always talk about this because we have clients come into our office and they say, can you just get rid of my anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you just make me not feel this? And we get questions all the time on our podcast. How do I not feel this? And the fact of the matter is when you try to not feel something, it gets even stronger. And so it's not about not feeling it. It's about acknowledging it and finding ways to nurture yourself through those feelings, right? Maybe you're giving to yourself in ways that you were never given before. Maybe your parents weren't able to give you these coping mechanisms. Maybe your parents weren't able to help you nurture yourself through these emotions, but you get to reparent yourself now as an adult. And so for you to be able to do that, to acknowledge your emotions and say it's okay, it allows you to accept them and find that radical acceptance for them to actually be able to manage them as opposed to push them away. Mm -hmm. And is that like inner child work? inner child work, it's radical acceptance, it touches on everything. And so I think that inner child work is a huge, a huge thing that we we discuss is that we take coping mechanisms from when we were a child, things that were once survival for us, and we bring them into adulthood. And they're things that they were once so helpful for us in order to survive as children. But in adulthood, they're no longer serving us. So reparenting that inner child is being able to say, it is okay that you develop these coping mechanisms. They were once so helpful for you. And now let's look at them and see if they're still helpful. And if they're not, how can we implement different ways of coping? And how can we take care of you in ways that you weren't taking care of growing up? So here's an example of what that might look like. Let's say that I grew up in a home where my parents fought a lot. High conflict, too high stress, wonderful parents, but they had their shit, right? They fight a lot. And one of the things that I am able to do is make everything better. So I make a lot of jokes and I'm always the one to be like, oh guys, it's fine. Or I make sure everything's washed. I try to take stress off their plates because I want this conflict to end. Now I bring that same thing that was incredibly helpful in my childhood to keep everything moving and to make us all survive. I bring that into my relationship. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm mothering someone. All of a sudden, I'm married to someone. I resent the shit out of them. I'm the good person. I do everything for everyone. And then I actually want to kill that fucker. Because (laughs) what you learned in childhood to keep the family system afloat is now impacting into adulthood of enabling other people. This story is time and time and time again, right? We hear it specifically, you know, for people that grew up in houses where there was conflict, where there was addiction, whereas people that were working a lot, where there was divorce going on, all the stuff that we know is happening for so many of us now that we're millennial adults. What am I doing now that looks similar to my childhood? And how does it feel for me now? I feel like we all just probably reenact our childhoods in some way until we (laughs) come face to face with it. And maybe sometimes like, if somebody has a super healthy environment, it doesn't become an issue. But I feel like we all have something. Like I had a really good childhood, but 
I've been in therapy my whole life dealing with things, you know what I mean? And there was nothing like my parents were together. My mom stayed at home. My dad is a doctor, so he worked a lot, but he wasn't like absentee. You know, I had a really good upbringing, like nothing. But there are dynamics there that I feel have carried over into adulthood and things that I've had to confront. I mean, does anybody like just skate through and they reach adulthood and they're like, no issues here. <laughs> yes, and those people then end up having huge breakdowns in their oh. So <laughs> yeah, yes, so, those so, yeah. people exist. It's buried down very, very deep and it comes out at worst times. Go Got to it. therapy now in your 20s and 30s. Please, dude, I love a breakdown in your 20s. Do it yeah. then. Get sober in your 20s. Get shit together in your 20s because then you can actually enjoy your 30s and 40s. Yes. If you keep this shoved down so far will come out later. That is simply how this works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think one of the reasons that people tend to do that is they feel like, okay, if I acknowledge that there were some struggles in my childhood, or maybe we had certain dynamics that weren't beneficial to me, that it somehow feels like they're betraying their parents to admit that when you can acknowledge that your parents did the best that they could with what they had. And there were still certain dynamics that affected you. Both things can be true. And to know that it's not a betrayal of your parents, to be able to say, hey, there were certain things that were done that maybe didn't benefit me in my childhood in the ways that I needed it to. Mm -hmm. And so that that I think is a really important thing to bring up if, if someone's listening to this and saying like, oh, it's been hard for me to acknowledge it, that it doesn't mean your parents are bad people. It doesn't mean that they did something wrong. It just means that maybe they weren't able to give you what you needed because maybe their childhood was like that, right? They didn't have the tools to be able to give that to you. They don't have the tools to give that to themselves. And so they were unable to give it to you. It does not mean that your parents were bad people. Mm-hmm. No, it's such a misconception about therapy that it's just like going and blaming your parents for everything. (laughs) Because also a lot of us have childhood wounds, not from our family of origins, but something that happened at school or something in society, right? You grew up in the 90s. Oh, you have some issues with food because everyone had 100 calorie packs and that was normal. Like snack wells. Yeah, that makes a lot of snack wells, right? Because snack wells is the treat of choice, right? And and so like everything was 100 calorie packs and everything was no fat anywhere, which actually fast not bad for you, right? All this stuff. So like, it doesn't always have to do with what happened at home. And so I think a lot of people are worried about going into therapy and it's like, that's going to hurt my relationship with my parents. Or what if I realize something? It's not like that. Mm -hmm. We are not trying to bring up memories that you don't have. That's like, that's, you know, that's a cult. That's not what therapy is. Mm -hmm. Therapy is who do you want to be now? How do we want to address these things? What goals are you working towards? Yes. There's probably some early childhood shit that we're going to come up with. That doesn't mean we have to blame and attack everyone. Most parents are doing their best. And a lot of times their best wasn't enough for us. Mm -hmm. And that's not their fault. And it's not ours. It's just life. Yeah. I love that. Who do you want to be now? Because I think there's another misconception about therapy that you go when your life is bad or when there are bad things happening. And I feel like I've gotten the most benefit out of therapy, actually, when things are going pretty well. And... I can kind of focus on more of that, like, okay, what am I doing? Where do I want to be and who do I want to be? And, and like unpacking all of that rather than dealing with maybe some of the the issues, you know, that have been more painful, although that's very helpful too. But okay, so I did want to talk about the eating and body image component. Like you said, I think that it's so deeply ingrained in all of us just from the messaging that we've been getting our entire lives. I've talked about it on here before. I remember the first time I was kind of aware of my body. I must have been like 10 or 11. I mean, so young. I'm sure you guys had a similar experience, but I remember maybe freshman year of high school, so 13, 14, going on the cabbage soup diet. This was really big when I was a teenager. And I was a twig to begin with. I mean, I only lasted like a day. It was terrible. But it's just so crazy to think about that. You know, I see people, I see girls that age now and I'm like, oh, and now I feel like it's even worse because I didn't have social media back then. Thank God. But, you know, it seems to be an issue that women struggle with every time I do a Q&A. So many of the questions are body-oriented, weight-oriented, food-oriented. So many people are struggling with emotional eating, binge eating. So let's 
just dive into that one. <laughs> so most what we know is on average, young girls start asking to go on diets around five, six years old, five, six years old. No five or six year old should be on a diet. That's five or six is when that children, is sh- when young shocking. girls specifically. I believe that young boys experience the same thing. We just mm. have research or data about girls, not boys. Unfortunately, that's always how it is. Yeah. But I would like to say for the record, I know plenty of men that have struggled with disordered eating and eating disorders. This is very prevalent with males as well. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that we live immersed in diet culture. Cabbage soup diet, the master cleanse, the freaking hot dog army diet. I mean, like the amount of disgusting <laughs> things that you're like, I did all this stuff because like what? I was obsessed with losing five pounds. Like how mean girl of us. Like I just want to lose five pounds. Is butter a carb? And we keep <laughs> having these same things because like it was, it doesn't work. But one thing that diet culture has stolen from us is the ability to joyfully eat and be able to stop eating and move our bodies. Because for so long, especially if you're someone who did like a ton of restricting your diets, you often then didn't have a healthy relationship with exercise. And exercise is one of the best things for us, but it gets taken away with diet culture. And so it's really hard to then be an adult and to be able to like actually have like focus on what we call like gentle nutrition. So the ability that like, yeah, you should eat some fruits and vegetables. You just should. They're good for your body. It makes sense. We should enjoy these things. But for so long, I didn't let myself have anything or I was told that fat is bad or sugar is bad or any of these things we keep going with. And it really makes it hard to live in this day-to-day world because it also makes hard to say like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do diets anymore. I'm going to focus my body. And then you walk down an aisle in a supermarket and there's a million ads or there's now every weight loss of every celebrity is on a weight loss drug that nobody else really has an option to go towards because they're not meant for us. And we're seeing some really unrealistic standards set for us. Here's the number one thing I could say. If you find that you have a lot of food rules or you struggle with binge eating, number one thing is I want you to get a health at every size, a haze aligned dietitian. We need support with eating when it has been ripped from us. There's nothing wrong with getting support, having an amazing dietitian that you work with, have someone who does a joyful movement work. And there's lots and lots of folks that do this, that you go to their workout class. And it's not talking about losing weight. It's talking about getting strong. Surround yourself by people that are doing that and interrupt diet culture Mm -hmm. for yourself and for other people all the time. If you were sitting at a table and people are talking about wanting to lose five pounds, Hey, walk away, go to the bathroom. Hey, let's talk about something besides dieting, right? Interrupt that. And for yourself, when you do it, call it out. Mm. If you notice that you're tearing yourself down for your part with your body, especially if you're on social media, take a break from social media, interrupt those destructive thoughts and say, what's this really doing for me? Am I drinking, feeding, I'm moving my body the way that is the healthiest thing and that's good for me? Let's take a look at that. And so I think the reason, but the reality is, is that we are traumatized. If you grew up in 80s, 90s, in the aughts, you were traumatized by diet culture. Mm-hmm. Our moms were, all of our moms, I mean, I had a mom that lived on freaking SlimFast, mm-hmm. Nutrisystem, you know, like my house was all SlimFast all the time. My grandmother. Nutrisystem, yeah. Nutrisystem, mm-hmm. right? My grandmother had SlimFast in, in her fridge for everything. Everyone's mom was on Weight Watchers. Like, so you were around this. It, it seeps into your soul. It mm-hmm. normalizes it. Mm-hmm. It's so not normalized. the yeah. problem. I feel like it's almost more insidious now, though, because you can say, okay, I'm I'm not going to subscribe to the diet culture. I'm not going to follow the diet accounts, and I'm not going to buy the diet food. But then you're still getting those kind of subtle inputs. I mean, if you go on TikTok and, you know, your, your TikTok, if you're on your For You page, it's a crapshoot what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe you follow like a Kylie Jenner who, <laughs> you know, says, oh, yeah, I'm like working out twice a day, but also has all of these other things going on. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing what what people are eating. You're, you're seeing people's day-to-day habits. And I feel like even if you think that you are controlling those inputs, it's still seeping in to your, your consciousness and these other more subtle ways, maybe. So here's what I would say. I believe nothing. I believe nothing. I don't believe. And I say that in a way of like, I don't believe a a single celebrity. Do not tell me, like, don't sell people this idea. First of all, they're like, oh, if you just work out and eat healthy. First of all, majority of this shit's genetics. Mm -hmm. If you're in a large body, it's probably because you're genetically in a large body. Mm -hmm. And you can do the exact same. Jed and I eat 
basically the same thing. We are very, very different bodies. What Jen, Jen and I can eat the entire same thing every single day. It's just going to look different. Mm-hmm. That's it. And yeah. so when we start looking at these celebrities, first of all, if you have time to work out twice a day and you have someone cooking your food. And you're, on, and you're on diabetes medication and you're getting plastic surgery, allegedly. This shit is not accessible. And the reality yeah. is, and I do, I have a lot of anger towards many of these celebrities who have sat here and been like, oh, body positivity. And now they're taking all of the diabetes medication that people actually need. Mm-hmm. This is a huge problem. So I, when I say this, believe nothing, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Believe in the people in your team, your doctor that you talk to, a dietitian, trainer, people that work with it, see what you're doing. You can't follow anyone else. Mm-hmm. We have all very, very different bodies. Do you have a care team that supports you mm-hmm. in what's happening? And the reality is, is moving towards intentional weight loss. We do not have data that supports that it works. We have mm-hmm. data that supports that working on strength, that eating well, that taking care of yourself helps your mental health, that makes your body stronger and fitter. We don't have any data. 95% of diets fail and you gain that weight back times two afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of experts from dietitians to doctors who are in this field who have said that the biggest predictor of weight gain is a diet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we all grew up, it was so normalized. So the thing mm-hmm. is, I think though, is that we're just beating ourselves up about it. So for all those people that write in, I'm sure you get these questions time and time and time again. How are you taking care of yourself? Do you have a care team that takes care of you as well? Mm. Do you feel good in what you're doing? The habits that you want to change, where is that information coming from inside or outside? Mm-hmm. Because if don't compare yourself to someone on the internet who actually is just taking diet pills behind the counter. Mm-hmm. because no shit they look like that mm-hmm. they're on drugs and the genetic component I mean I think that's so yeah. important most of it is genetics you know and I've always said that to people whenever they would ask like well how did you do this how did you do that I'm like I don't know it's just the way my body is and some people hate hearing that but that is a, a really important component and I think back to you know who we're following and conscious consumption I think if you are feeling really bad about yourself and you're following people who are just one way and maybe unfollow. I cleanse my follows all the time. I follow like 400 people and I don't scroll or anything. So that is one habit that I have down that like really enhances my life though, you know? But I'm obsessed with something you just said, which is like when you know different, you do different. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what you don't know. Everyone was yeah. following everyone else. Everyone's trying their best. It's one of the reasons why we like come from such a non-judgmental approach to your parents, to your grandparents, to everyone around you. Like everyone was just trying to figure shit out. So at the time, that was something that was also probably helpful for your sobriety. It was helpful mm-hmm. for you taking accountability. Like those are all amazing things. And like, once again, like we can sit here and say like, okay, but then I realized some of it was disordered and it wasn't the healthiest thing to do. And we change it and we make it different and we don't have to hate ourselves or take it out on ourselves. You get to change any single day you want. You get to make that the day you change your life. Mm-hmm. That's the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. Do you have a tip for anybody who is struggling with emotional eating or binge eating? Because I think that it's such an easy thing to fall into. And I know that therapy obviously as a whole is a great tool for this. And I love what you said about seeing a dietitian. I don't know if you guys know Vanessa Rosetto. She has the company Kalina Health, and she's been on my show quite a few times. And her company is covered by insurance. And she was like, you go see a therapist for your mental health. Like, why doesn't everybody go see a dietitian? If you're struggling with your relationship with food, like there are people here to help you. So the number one tip is you're probably not eating enough, actually, the rest of the day. Usually it starts happening. You start having some distressing emotion, but also your body typically starts having hunger cues around that time. So usually there's like a larger sense. It's one of the reasons why you do need to see a dietitian. We love clients that are also working with dietitians. It makes our job easier. And we hate to say that, but it's really true because if they can sit there and track it, typically what we're going to see is you didn't eat enough during the day. You had distressing emotions that you did not want to feel. And so you numb it out and you start eating because you're actually fucking hungry. So Mm -hmm. you do want to eat, but then the difficulty of stopping. And so it's really hard because most of us, especially if you were someone who was a chronic dieter, you got rid of hunger cues and full cues. Mm -hmm. 
And so one of the reasons why you have to work with a dietitian to get that back is we want our bodies to give us hunger cues again and to tell us when it's satisfied, not just full, but satisfied. I'm done eating. I loved it. I enjoyed it. It felt really good because food should be awesome and eating should be awesome. But for most of us, we very much damage that relationship. So check in with yourself before you're about to eat. Check in with what is my hunger level. Same thing. 15 minutes in, how do I feel? Where's my hunger level? Am I satisfied? Am I still hungry? Slowing down mealtimes to check in with yourself about how you're feeling. And then at the end, am I truly satisfied? There's a difference between satisfaction and fullness. And this is something dietitians work with you with. I cannot recommend starting with one enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm curious if there is a theme or a topic that you see the most that maybe would be unexpected? Or is it just everything that we've been talking about? So the, so a few things. It depends what age people are coming in. And I think we have really specific themes, right? So like a lot of times in your 20s, is identity formation, boundaries, family of origin. A lot of times in your 30s, it is relationship skills and communication, which also goes back into family of origin and boundaries. I think the things that people don't realize that we see so much of is grief and grief, not just in death, but just the grief of my identity, uh, especially friendship breakups. I cannot tell you the amount of time processing with friendship breakups more than romantic breakups. We as a society need to give more space for when our friendship ends and giving space because I can see that like, right. So ending, so like grief not just about death, I think is the one thing people don't realize mm-hmm. is so formative. Mm-hmm. Grief of like, even if I, if there's even a grief of choosing to be child free of like, oh, do I still fit into my friends that had kids? Mm-hmm. Or what if they stop hanging out with me as much because I don't have kids, right? So there's certain stuff that when someone else takes away that control, I would think that's a big one. Jed, what do you think is the, the theme that comes up that you're most surprised about? Well, the, the theme that I'm most surprised about, I think the thing that I don't know if it's a surprise, but the thing that I think is very consistent but changes over time is life stage transitions, like how we're constantly having to transition our roles as we get older and we get into different stages in our relationships. And I think that it's easy to believe that when we're in one stage that it's going to stick or it's going to stay. And then, and, and this touches on the grief example in a way because- we also have to grieve when those stages end and then readjust when we're starting a different life stage. So I think that we are in this constant state of kind of grieving the end of something and starting something new. And I, you know, as we get older, if you have children, if you are entering into new relationships, that can happen very quickly. It can also happen very slowly. Sometimes it can happen out of the blue. And so I think that this constant state of grieving and then readjusting to a new life stage happens so often, but we we don't really think about it in that way. We can, we tend to just react to the place that we're in and, and not be able to see it as this ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like we're also distracted that so many of us probably aren't acknowledging any of that, myself included. Sometimes I go through phases where I'm like, whoa, how did I get here? Like what just happened the last six months, you know? It's yeah. so much easier to distract yourself. Yeah. And it feels so much better to actually. It does yourself. until it all boils over. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. I like to ask my guests one thing we should stop doing and one thing we should start doing today can be related to mental health or really anything. I would say the one thing that you should stop doing is being so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that we talked about this earlier in the episode that we are quick to be judgmental towards ourselves. We are quick to be hard on ourselves if we are not meeting a standard or if we make a mistake. And I think that the one thing I think we should definitely stop doing is being so hard and judgmental towards ourselves. And that will in turn transition into you being less hard and judgmental towards other people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of the ire and vitriol that people encounter on the internet is a lot of people really (laughs) hating themselves and judging themselves and taking it out on other people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have one for one thing you should stop doing is putting your head in the sand. 
If something's not working in your life, you can start changing that today. And I'm not meaning you have to change everything in one day, but you can start taking small steps. So take your head up, look around, whatever you want to change, start one thing today. Amazing. Well, I had so much fun talking to you both. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell everybody about your podcast and where they can find you. You can find us. You can listen to us at Shrink Chicks, wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us at Shrink Chicks on Instagram. If you are looking to be a match with a clinician, we'd love to help you. We always want to help someone on their therapeutic journey. We own a wonderful practice called The Therapy Group. Check us out at therapygroup.com, The Therapy GRP on Instagram. If you are local to Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, we have locations in Rittenhouse in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And if you are in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Florida, or California, we'd love to match you with a clinician. If you are not in one of those states, still reach out. We have a list of amazing clinicians we refer to. We never want anyone to be turned away. We'd love to help you on your journey no matter what. Thank you so much for having us on Thank today. You. We appreciate it Thank so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.